Lord, help us to know what we're singing. Help us to comprehend what that means to be after your heart. Lord, reveal yourself to us now. Come, Father, we're, we're here for you. Come, Lord, would you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? I'm concerned about the church in the UK. I'm actually concerned about our church. It's going to be a really light sermon. <laughs> We're in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel in our series Heart and House. And 20 years have passed since Dagon, the Philistine god, fell face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And unlike the silencing of Samuel in the story over the last few chapters, we now see him returning and preaching. This is good news. The preacher is no longer silenced. The preaching prophet is what bookends this chapter. So right at the beginning, we see Samuel is preaching, and then we see the end of the chapter, Samuel is on a preaching tour. That's good news. Where Israel was not sitting under the Word of God, doing it their own way, in different ways, in their tribes, doing it their own way, going and doing it the way that they felt was right, and not sitting under the preaching of Samuel, they were in trouble. But now, Samuel's preaching again. They are returning to God, and they're sitting under God's words. And then between those two bookends, in chapter 7, we see how this obedience to God, obedience to his word, because it's all well and good having the word of God preached, but what does it look like to obey God's word is worked out. Samuel preached wholehearted devotion to God. There was no messing about with Samuel. It was all your heart, or it wasn't true worship. I'm convinced we find ourselves in a similar place to what the Israelites did at the time. Samuel leads them to a place where they are to repent. And they are to repent because although they have been listening to the preaching of God's Word, they haven't actually wholeheartedly given their hearts to God. They're worshipping several gods, pick and mix gods. Going to Ashtaroths and Baals going to their shrines and making sacrifices there. If we want to see the church revived in this land, I think we've got to go through some repentance. It's a popular word, isn't it? Cheery message on repentance. That's what you came here for. We need to repent of our half-heartedness and turn to him with all our hearts. 
I think we need to pray. Okay, let me pray. Lord, I'm just so aware of the, of the seriousness of this message. I'm aware that, God, you're holy, holy, holy. There is no one like you. You will not give yourself to another. You're jealous for your glory. You're jealous for us. And so, Lord, would you wake us up? Wake us up from the parts of our lives that are clearly not given to you. Would you help us to see that we're made for you? Would you help us to see that we are made for your glory? Would you help us to see what it means to lay down the idols that we're so blind to in our culture? And in this season, would we not return to something normal as if before the pandemic, the church was the most thriving church it could be? Lord, we lay ourselves down now. We say, God, we, we see that there is an opportunity here for a new season. We say, God, come and make it happen. Do what you have to do, even if it hurts, because we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, bring conviction and grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7. I'm going to read it in different uh, sections. So let me just begin at the beginning of verse 2. So as the ark remained, it carried Jerem a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts... Then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bowels and asterisks and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. To overcome sin, we need to worship. Although Samuel had been preaching faithfully for 20 years, the people still wanted God as this kind of pick-and-mix religious experience. After all, that was what these powerful nations around them were doing. It worked for the Philistines, so why wouldn't it work for them? This was a serious problem. Israel was not devoted to God alone. They wanted to worship God and the God of the nations, the gods around them the idols of their culture. Now, these other gods were idols set up on hills in places prov that provided a kind of combination of services. Of it was sexual at the same time as being religious. 
So it was a, a very base level of experience. And the promise to them fertility and success through bringing sacrifices and these strange sexual practices, that seems a world away from the kind of idols we might have today, doesn't it? Lindsay and I spent a few weeks in Thailand and Vietnam for the kids. Good times. Idols, charms, shrines, everywhere. Taxis, anyone's house that you were in, wherever you were at, there were shrines set up to these idols. They're everywhere. And people believe that without them, they wouldn't be able to ward off bad omens, ill health, and all kinds of other things, and enjoy the health and wealth that they so wanted. So it's no surprise then, is it, that we've got friends at One Light Church, in a, a church in, in, it's just been planted a couple of years ago in Thailand. So it's no surprise that the new believers there are struggling to let go of those idols. They think, oh, but if I let go of that, then I won't have this. That, I mean, that's what I've been brought up with. I can't, I can't just pull that down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that God and that God. That's okay, isn't it? Jesus plus. The spiritual battle for these believers' hearts is obvious to us, but it's our own cultural practices that are blind for us. They, they become blind to us. Ironically, the things that trap us, we can't see. And it's the same for them. So we look and we go, oh, come on. It's so obvious. But the truth is, they'll look at us and go, are you kidding? All that consumerism? <laughs> look at these big churches that they have. Look, it's so obvious that they're, they're tied up in their culture. It's so obvious that they have so many idols. Look at that TV that they just crowd around every night. Get around it. Whatever happens every night, you get around it. If I was to go to dinner at Johnny and Lynn's, okay, if I was to go later, get dinner, and um, I find myself sitting in the living room as they prepare things in the kitchen, okay, I would not expect to see some kind of shrine in the corner. I think it's unlikely. Um, but if Johnny had left his laptop open on the coffee table and locked it, curiosity got the better of me, sorry, Johnny, and I start exploring. It's a tab open bank account. Have a look through. Whoa, look what he's spending his money on. Oof day, Johnny. And then another tab's open, and it's his smartwatch. Recordings from his smartwatch. He's run six times this week. But I couldn't think of a realistic example, Johnny. It, it must be, it must be, that must be where he is, is maybe struggling. It's another one. It's Netflix. And I, I look at their, their, how much they've watched this week. Ooh, Johnny. I might get an insight into who and what they are sharing their hearts with about what they're committed to, what they're about. Samuel says, verse 3, rid yourself of these idols and give your whole heart to God. So, repentance is more than sorry. It's to replace an idol in your life 
It is to replace the sin with worship. Repentance is not just sorry and emptying yourselves of the bad things. It's filling your heart with worship. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Otherwise, you just have a void that needs to be filled with something. And if it's not God, it's going to be sin. A number of years ago, I was dealing with a pastoral issue with a couple in a previous church, and they'd had some marital struggles, which it turned out to be that the guy was just being unfaithful. And when we found that out, he was full of tears and sorries. A few weeks later, however, he does the same thing again. And he did it again, and he did it again. And every time, tears and sorries. You might not have done anything as serious as that, but we've probably all done that in some way with sin in our lives. People can be full of emotion and passion when they say sorry and still not be genuinely repentant. It is because your sin has led you away from God and his love that should make you want to repent and desperately return to his presence. Because sin divides us from God, and we don't want that in our life so that we can have more of God, be filled with God. Or is it that we're coming to repent, but we're really not repenting, we're just saying sorry, because the implications of your sin make you sad? You got found out. You got too much of it because it makes you feel sick. Then you don't fill the void with Jesus and you return to your vomit. Guilt based religion does not work. Just saying and doing the right things will not do the trick. Genuine repentance is a desire to turn away from sin and be filled and consumed with the glory of God. We need hearts that are changed and filled up with worship. That is true repentance. As Samuel repeats, we must turn to God with all our hearts. Thomas Chalmers was a fifer. He moved to Glasgow, a renowned preacher in the old Tron. So the, when I say old Tron, I mean old, old Tron, <laughs> the Tron church when it was down at the Tron Gate in what is now the Tron Theatre. And he preached a very famous sermon now, the expulsive power of a new affection. And in it he said this, to obliterate all our present affections by simply expunging them and so as to leave the seat of them unoccupied would be to destroy the old character and to substitute no new character in its place. Instead, Chalmers says, we need to give place to a successor who turns it into a presidence of desire and interest and expectation as before. Locking yourself in your room to deny yourself pleasures, turning off all the tech, no people there to cause you to sin, no distractions at all, will not overcome sin in your life. You'll just be far more bored when you sin. <laughs> That's the truth. Because your heart isn't changed. 
Only God can change your heart. We've got to turn our hearts to worship, see more of God, see more of his glory. We need changed hearts, not just changed behavior. This isn't moralism. This is being birthed into relationship with God. It is turning away from the things that keep us from him and have a sweet relationship with Jesus. God is jealous for his people. He's jealous for you. He doesn't want your divided worship. He wants your undivided worship. He wants every part of you. And the Israelites knew this. Exodus 20, verse 5, 10 commandments. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Jealousy is not always negative. And it's never negative when it comes to God. There are some circumstances, actually, where we can be jealous, and it's right and good because we're guarding a relationship that is right. Like in marriage, for instance. If I came home one day, some guy sat on the couch. Lindsay snuggled into him. Kids are sitting on his knee. They're watching some program together. If I came in and I wasn't rightly jealous, there's something wrong. If I didn't come in and think, get out, no, there'd be something wrong. If I just came in and said, oh, hey, mate, how you doing? Good to see you. Don't, don't you move. I'll just sit over here on the other couch. Uh, would you like a beer? Just go, and get, just go and grab you one. That would be weird and wrong. Because the right thing for that relationship, for those relationships, is for me as father as husband, to be with my wife and my children, not another man. Same is true of God and you. The right relationship is for God to have all of your heart. He will not be shared. God loves you, and he wants what's best for you. And actually, that's what would be best for my children in that situation and for Lindsay. How unloved would Lindsay feel if I did not feel jealous, rightly jealous in that moment? How confusing would it be for my children if I didn't want them to sit on my knee? And the same is true of God. He will not be shared. It is right that he is jealous. The natural order of things is for you to be with God in every way. God is the one that we need. As Samuel gathers the people at Mizpah, they do something that could actually seem quite strange to us. <laughs> they uh, get this, um, these jugs of water, and then they pour them out on the desert ground. Huh. What are they doing there? That's a bit bizarre, isn't it? Well, the point of it is this. It was a sign of their utter need for him. Even life-giving water isn't as important as giving yourself to God. Be poured out to God. God, you are the giver of life, and you're all we need. We need you to fill our vessels. Not even water is more important. So, what do we need to repent of?
What is it in your life you've given yourself to and you know that in it you aren't worshiping God? Now, there are so many good things given by God to be enjoyed. We can enjoy wine to the glory of God. We can eat ice cream to the glory of God. We can start by saying thank you in those moments when you get something and suddenly you'll find that you can enjoy them without scoffing and being greedy, but enjoy them to the point where you can worship through them, even simple things like that. You could be a mathematician to the glory of God, a musician to the glory of God. You can enjoy these things and enjoy God through them. But are they competing with God? Are they your hope? Are they things that you think you can be satisfied in without God? And do you only call on God when those things aren't working for you? What are those things in your life? Identify them. And then let's get rid of them. Turn to God. Worship Him alone. There's one God that, uh, one sin, sorry, that God was speaking to me about this week that I think as a church we need to repent of together. I think that in our half-heartedness we have been convinced at times that this is just who I am. I I am who I am. I'm not going to get better. I'm going to keep being like this. We don't believe God's promises for us. Forgive us, Lord. It's not just the way you are. I'll tell you who you are. You are his. You belong to him. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are a saint. You are a temple of of the Holy Spirit, and you are primed for a life of worship. You have been made ready by the blood of Jesus to have a life of worship. Do you believe that? If you don't, let's repent. Believe God. You are primed to be a worshiper. There's two things I think we can do that are pretty practical around this stuff. One is that we're going to invite people to respond after uh, I've preached and during the response time to pray. So we'll have people available to pray up in that back corner. But even just to get on our knees, uh, just call out to God where you are if that's what you want to do. Grab someone near you and confess and repent. And the second thing we can do is, after we leave here today, if you don't have this in your life already, be accountable with someone. Speak it out. No hidden sin. That will eat you up. You need to be accountable with people. You need to be able to say to them, I've not been worshiping the Lord in this area of my life. I've been doing this instead. This has been happening. No matter how dark that is, find someone that you can truly trust, trusting relationship, and confess. Pray for each other that the grace of God 
become fall on you. To overcome sin, we need to do more than sorry, though. And so even in those relationships, can I encourage you that after you do that, after you confess, don't just leave it at that. I was once part of an accountability group that, honestly, all it was was just like, we would just come and and tell each other the same things all the time. And then we almost got to the point where you're laughing about it because you're justifying it to one another and not turning it to worship. Oh, same thing again, guys. Same thing again, guys. Turn it to worship. So together, confess, then pray, worship, sing, declare his goodness. All right. To overcome sin, worship, to overcome fear, pray. Verse 7. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But the day of the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he was He always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. And just a little side note, if you want to pray this week, pray verse 14, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. All right, to overcome fear, pray. Some of you will not respond well to this challenge. I'm going to say it how it is. Some of you will not respond well to it. You may even be full of enthusiasm now, but that does not mean that in a few weeks' time you will still be enthusiastic. You've said it already, but keep turning to worship. Fill your heart with worship. But I believe God is going to take this group of 100 or so people that attend Glasgow Grace at the moment now, 
And I think he's going to do what he did with his Israelite army. I think he's going to take the big army of the battle of Aphek in chapter 4 and strip it back to a smaller army in chapter 7. We moved into our new house in October and uh, in the front garden is this really nice apple tree. But it's growing sideways and it's just a bit wild. Now we got there too late because if we got there maybe a year before, we could have trimmed it back. We could have taken it back so that it would grow in a more healthy way. Think about the direction that it's growing in and think about how we could increase its fruitfulness in the years to come. I think that is what God is doing with us or will do with us. To increase our fruitfulness as a church, I believe God will trim us personally. In other words, there's some repentance to be done. But also that we need to get ready that it might mean that we're a smaller army. We're a smaller group as we go through this season of repentance. Some of you will be called to do something different. You'll be taken and grafted in elsewhere and made part of another army and part of another tree. But we're part of the same kingdom and we celebrate that. That's good. But God's put that in your heart. This last year and a half or however long it's been, that's okay. That's okay. Maybe he'll send you somewhere else. I've already spoken to some who are going to go to different nations and proclaim the gospel. For others of you, it's a different expression of church, maybe, that you feel called towards. It'll look different to what we do. And that's okay. Bless you if that is what you do. We work for the kingdom of God. We work for his glory. And I'll be praying for you. Praying that you will see that he is worthy of your life. But this next season, I believe, will include a stripping back. For those of us who remain, there will be times when that is scary. Just like it's about to be scary in this chapter for the Israelites. As soon as they gather at Mizpah, the Philistines want to cut them down before they get any ideas and come up and attack them. So this mighty army sees its opportunity and it sees the threat and it moves towards them. Think back to chapter four. The Philistines were scared because the gods had entered the camp. The Ark of the Covenant had come into the camp. And do you remember Israel had this great shout, 30,000 of them, and two miles away, they could hear this enormous cry. And they were quaking. Yet they were the ones that had the victory. And now, it is the much smaller army of Israel who are scared before the Philistine machine that is coming towards them, flexing their muscles over them and have been since that humiliating defeat at Aphek. This is the first David and Goliath story in 1 and 2 Samuel, and there are a few, not just the David and Goliath one. 
this is a David and Goliath moment, the smaller army that puts its faith in God, gives its heart to God, is used powerfully to overcome the enemy. This time, Israel are, humanly speaking, weak. Not only are they smaller, but they've not planned this. They've not organized. They don't know what they're doing. But in verse 8, we see that their hearts have truly changed. They said to Samuel, what? Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. God overcomes our fears when we humbly cry out to him in prayer. Prayer is where we will find our victories. As we look to the city, and you might look out and you think, oh my goodness, how on earth am I going to share the word of God with people? How can I? Look at me. I don't have what it takes. Laugh at me. Oh, I hope that you feel that. And then cry out to the Lord and see him answer your prayer, and he uses you mightily. And then Samuel offers a sacrifice for the people. They've repented, and now Samuel demonstrates that God is a God who forgives. If you're wondering if we were going to get there, he is a God who forgives. The lamb could never forgive them of their sin, but this prophet, who was like a kind of John the Baptist figure who would come a thousand years later, having also taken a Nazarite vow for life, would come calling people to repentance and saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Samuel prepares the way for a king, and that king would prove to fall short. He would, Saul would, be used to redeem Israel for a time, and then David even more so, but they would fall short of what they were required to be to truly lead Israel. They needed a king who was benevolent, who would not be corrupted by power, one who could, be, who could actually remove their sin and welcome them into the presence of God. And that king was Jesus, who John the Baptist saw and cried out from a distance, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, this Lamb that Samuel, this John the Baptist figure, sacrifices is like a, is a sign to the one who would come, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. Repent, yes, but know in your repentance that you can worship in His presence, be near Him, know Him, because Jesus, the Lamb of God, has shed His blood on your behalf. That loud thunder... As Samuel prayed during the battle, that loud thunder reminds me of what happens after the cross. That loud thunder reminds me of the earthquake when the followers of Jesus were praying in Acts 4, not long after the church was born and the Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit fell on them again and they shared the Word of God boldly. Oh, repent because you will be forgiven and you can 
now come into the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and be used to step out into battle no matter how small you feel because God is with you, the same God that thunders here in the battle and overcomes the Philistines. He will overcome our enemies. He will overcome all our problems and difficulties. He will overcome our fears, and He will use us if we put our faith in Him in the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. But it requires repentance. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to let go of all those idols? Are you willing to identify what they are? Are you truly willing to go home and instead of just turning on the TV again, get on your knees and cry out to God? Because that's what the church needs. We so desperately need it. That's what God's calling us to. Are you listening to him? Let's not be people who, in the wake of this pandemic, keep our heads down and avoid other people out of fear for the rest of our lives. We've got to look to God, hold our heads high, keep our spiritual eyes open, and have the Holy Spirit lead us to share, to love, to preach the good news, to pray with people. The rest of the world, right now, may be in fear, but we are the people of God, and we are not timid. Pray and he will be your helper. God brought confusion in the Philistine camp and the Israelites won the battle. Where something seems impossible to you now, God will bring miraculous victories in your life if your response is to humble yourself and cry out to the Lord. There between Mizpah and Shen, Samuel set up a stone, not a shrine or an idol, but a monument. A monument to teach this generation and future ones. The Ebenezer, which means stone of help. And then Samuel says, verse 12, Thus far or until now, the Lord has helped us. Raise an Ebenezer. God has brought us this far. And he's not going to stop now. It points a big, great sign backwards. Saying, look what God's done. But it also points a sign forward saying, you can trust him as you keep going. God is calling us to keep going. Those of you who were there uh, last week heard a prophetic word from uh, one of our new students, uh, Alice. And she was out on a hill in Aaron uh, just before the meeting, I don't know, a couple of days before the meeting last week. And she felt God say to her, I'm not done with the west coast of Scotland. She looked out right down the coast. Do you know, those are the words that God spoke to us when we first moved back up here. I'm not done with you in Scotland yet. I believe God is saying that to you. God is not done with you. He has something mighty for you to do. Do you believe him? Will you repent of those things that keep you from living wholeheartedly for him.
Yes, God is calling us to a period of repentance, but he is doing it to prepare us for the battle that will be won in prayer and worship. Jesus said to his disciples, when the advocate, yes, he says helper, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You know, the Holy Spirit has come and he testifies about Jesus. He points us to a better Ebenezer. He points us to the cross. And then Jesus, of course, says, do this in remembrance of me. So at Glasgow Grace, we regularly take communion and we remember Jesus at the cross, our helper, the one who has brought us into the presence of God, who has made us priests. It's not just Samuel in this generation that prays. It's all of us. And he has sent the Holy Spirit. And now, as you come to take communion, the Holy Spirit helps you remember Jesus. So let's do this. Let's get on our feet. And then in response, I'd like us to do those things I mentioned earlier. So it's a, this is a time to repent. And we're going into a season of repentance. I just want us to be real. Listen, we're all, we're all in need of this. <laughs> I'm certainly not an exception. I need to repent of the things that have competed for the glory of God in my life. That I've allowed to compete for the glory of God in my life. So let's do that. Let's get on our knees. Let's cry out to God. And then let's remember. Remember that he has forgiven us, that we have come into his presence, that we're a priesthood of believers, that he's filled us with that thunderous Holy Spirit who will give us the power to share the gospel in this city. And remember that Jesus gave his blood and his body and a sacrifice for you, the great exchange his righteousness for your sin. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for what you've come to do. Thank you that you've rescued us. Thank you that you're a better lamb, that you're a better, at the cross was a better Ebenezer and that we can come now remembering you and everything you've done by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you and Lord, we pray that you would help us now to be honest with ourselves as we recommit ourselves to you in this season. Come, Lord Jesus, help us to be worshipful people, prayerful people who see you overcome in this city and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as the guys come to lead in worship as well, it might be that God's been speaking to you and giving you words, pictures, um, Bible passages to share. I'm gonna be down here. Um, do come and grab me. If, uh, if you uh, think that you have something to share.